Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Liebson Show. Welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It's a privilege to welcome back to the show our Congressman, Representative David Schweikert. David, welcome back. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Very well. Very well. You say it's a privilege, but you you told me I had to call. (laughs) <laughs> it's still a privilege that you comply it's a privilege uh, that someone listens to me someone <laughs> someone does what i say that's up for that's the privilege tell us how the baby's doing by the way oh a little guy um look uh, you know he was having some real digestive issues yeah but i'm back in dc right now so i'm actually in a car about to hop out and get back into my office I don't I'm being pushed out because everyone's racing. Um, we, we had a Freedom Caucus meeting down the street. Oh, good. Um, but the little guy, he's doing so much better. We've doubled his weight. Good. Um, I'll let you tell the story when we're off. Okay, yeah, no, it's a beautiful, it. it's one of the most beautiful and inspiring stories. But, uh, yes, do- but, to, but to think of my wife and I as now having a, you know, 10-week-old. Yeah, you know, it's a great, great gift from God. Yeah. But I sometimes think the dear Lord has a sense of humor in oh, yeah. screwing with me. Well, you know, we're never given a burden we can't handle, right? The cross is always in the ballpark. Yeah, Paul but Simon I really says. do miss sleep. I can't, yeah, I know, I know. But you'll see, you'll, you'll catch up later. You'll catch up later. Uh, <laughs> the worst thing, you know what the best advice someone told me when I was doing morning radio? They said the worst thing about being tired is being tired. You can get through it. You can get through yeah. it. And you, and you and you like your coffee, so I think. And I'm now in D.C. and I feel incredibly guilty because my wife is home with my, you know, six and three quarter year old little girl, and a ten week, and she also works. So, you know, she's like Superwoman right now, trying to manage all that. So, well, we'll send why, our best thoughts. But, we'll send our. Best but why thoughts. this is important? This is how everyone else lives yeah, too. Exactly. You know, exactly. I, I, I'm nothing special, um, but it's life. And the arrogance of particularly members of Congress is somehow they think their world is unique and special. 
David, that kind of well, opens up an interest. I, I didn't think I would start here, but I'm glad you brought. I glad you took us here because it brings up something I say from time to time, which is, you know, what is the first job of our elected leaders? And isn't it? I mean, everyone has an answer, but at, at a certain level, isn't it to make life just a little bit easier for Americans? Just a little bit, if if not a lot, at least a little. And my gosh, the reports yesterday on inflation. My gosh, the reports on mortgages. My gosh, this government is not making life easier. It's doing the exact opposite. Look, uh, I need you to remember the conversations you and I've had since January when I was saying, I'm seeing stuff in the numbers that say this inflation is structural. And and, and that may just sound like a geek trying to sound like an economist, but when it becomes part of of the finances and, and of how you survive, do you understand, if you're a working person in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, do you understand how much poorer you are today than you were a year ago? The, we live in the highest inflation in the United States. We've cracked through 13% in, in the sample. So, so we're at the very top. If you're a working person in the Phoenix Scottsdale area and you have not had a pay hike, you lost a month and a half of your labor. You are working for a month and a half for free. That's how much has been stolen from you in inflation. And if you've had the mean pay hike in the Phoenix area, you work for a month for free. You are one month poor. And, 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 and the political class doesn't seem to have empathy that how many people every single day are poor. Yep. In our community, they're they're busy trying to get you to vote for them because of some other thing, or trying to distract you. But this is destroying your retirement, your kids' future, your 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 ability to buy a house. I don't want to overstretch the met- the analogy or reference of fiddling while Rome burns, but I mean, when you have all of this coming in. Uh, as news on a day like yesterday, and then you see the White House throwing this massively attentive party with James Taylor and cameras and celebrations. It's a bit much to take, David. Oh no, you should be pissed. Oh, sorry, I, I shouldn't be cursing I, I, on your. I know I'm going to let it. I'm going to let it fly you, because that's the right sentiment. I'm going to let it fly. But I know you have a class, a class T-shirt. It's, it's all a right. Family shirt. It's all right. We but, can. But let's, let's understand. Working men and women are no longer part of the Democrat Party. There you go. You don't write them checks. You don't vote for them. And they don't care about you. Yeah. It, it, this, is, this, this is just the reality of it. So, so this sort of dystopian world of for every day, um, things are a mess. You know, the border's open, the little... I, I just, I, I had a call yesterday about a 14-year-old little girl that I, I know. She died yesterday of fentanyl. Oh. I, and this is what's going on around us. But at least James Taylor showed up and played music. Unbelievable. A 14-month-year-old? Is that what you said? 14-month? No, 14-year-old. One for fourteen year old. This is incredible. This is one of the greatest. I mean, I you run out of words to say. I, I understand why you would use the p word because you run out of words to describe what one might think of as nonfeasance, but is really malfeasance at this point. It's not excusable it, anymore. It, 
but this, but what happens when you and I are to election and the political professionals, the consultants, the pollsters are going to try to get you to think about everything other than the fact that you are poor, your life is much more at risk and threat, your children's future now is, you know, is a combination of dealing with the homeless people living in the alley and potential drug overdose of your children. And I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic. This really is going on in our neighborhoods. Um, and I work here, I'm walking down a hallway in Washington right now, and I honestly don't believe any of these people give a damn. Yeah. It's, it, it, oh, we need to push this bill because it's a big subsidy for this group, and that group writes checks to, you know, to, to their politics. David, it, do you think when we, when we went through the COVID shutdowns and lockdowns and then started easing up, people were saying, oh, my gosh, I hope this isn't the new normal. Is this kind of in the Democratic mindset, the new normal, get used to this misery, this is our new set point, this is our new starting point, you think? Um, I'm going to give you a slightly different version of it. Okay. I think it demonstrated how much they liked almost absolute power. Okay. They got to decide if you got to go to work today, if you got to go to school today, if you got to go worship today, they became omnipotent. They became little demigods. Um, and that type of vanity, that type of arrogance, uh, is sort of now woven into the political culture of we know better, you need to listen, why aren't you subservient to what we believe? And here we are, you know, a couple of years later, and if you're, if you're on the right side, you know, if, if you're... Um, you know, a, a company or organization and you give money to Democrat politicians, if you say the right thing, you know, if you say the right thing, you don't get banned from social media. If you're the right type of money or investment, you'll be subsidized. Um, for much of the legislation that's being passed here in Congress, it's subsidy legislation. We're handing out checks left and right. And then the media helps lie about it. You know, the you know, Inflation Reduction Act, which is nothing but that, you know, we're now seeing the scores come that it's going to cost a fortune and that the deficit reduction portion is a scam. It's all gimmicks. Um, you know, you keep looking at what's going on around us, and... I never, ever thought I would see my country this sort of upside down if it was just rational. Do you worry about—yeah, I agree with everything you said. Do you worry about such a large portion, picking up on what you just said, a large portion of this country that is willing to go along with it? Do you, I mean, it, it, that, it's not a good thing to—I I get the perspective of not wanting to blame our fellow countrymen, but, you know, a lot of them are happy to go along with this. Well, look, you know the family motto, money, power, vanity. Yep. Most of the time it's about the money. Yeah. Um, how many people out there, I mean, you know, how many of our brothers and sisters who are listening to us right now know someone It says, I'm a conservative, but damn it, I want a right. check for this. Right. I think government should give me more money for this. Right. I have a great idea. Give me a subsidy for this. Yeah. 
all day long, you know, I, because I'm on ways and means, um, I, I guess I have people because, you know, our dominance over the tax code. Yeah, no, you see it. Yeah, sure. And the number of times every single day I get people pop down in the chairs around me, and the first words are how conservative they are, and the second words are they have a program that we really should fund. Yeah. Or I should give them some special tax treatment. Yeah. It, um, and it's our own fault. Yeah. Washington, D.C. has been handing out cash, and the Democrats are thrilled about it. You take a look at the, you know, $4 trillion that functionally we, we've raised the debt and during the Biden administration, how much of that went to favored groups. Yep. The student, a good example, the student loan debt. Yep. Ken Wharton scored it as reaching almost $1 trillion in total costs. Right. How many of you heard that on the media? But you look at the population, the Democrats must have young voters yeah. to survive in the election cycle. Yeah. Look at the timing when this money is being handed out. Yeah, that's right. That's right, David. That's right. Well, we got to go back to basics, right? This is a football. David, uh, thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Appreciate you checking in. Appreciate you fighting uh, for common sense and um, less addiction, whether it's addiction to uh, stuff coming across the border, whether it's addiction to uh, the federal uh, to the federal uh, subvention. We appreciate you very much, sir. And I can't tell you how much I thank you. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. It's the only company I use and recommend, and the only company my friends who have air conditioning, heating, and plumbing use as well. And they all love it as much as I do. Chris Funk and his team, they have built a tremendously great company. You'll know it from the moment you reach out to them to the completion of the job that they promise they'll do. No upsales, customer service that can't be beat. You have any air conditioning needs, inspection, replacement, new unit, you name it. Repair, they're there for you, as well as plumbing. We'll talk about heating later in the year. <laughs> Don't need that right now. You can get to them at Cool Touch at 623-748-4942. That's 623-748-4942. Or visit them online at cooltouch.us, cooltouch.us. You know how much uh, I care about language and how we have been documenting over the series of uh, years we've been together this ongoing added list to George, what George Orwell, I think, would call newspeak and turnspeak around here. You know, where speech is violence, and in some cases, depending on where and when, not speaking is violence. You know, where marching peacefully and patriotically is um, 
insurrection. You get it. You know what I'm talking about. You want to see this uh, in full force. You look at your schools. You look at your universities. They um, they used to be places where language mattered. They used to be places where you would get scored for the abuse, uh, downscored, down, downgraded for the uh, uh, misuse of language. Uh, now they specialize in it. Um, Smithsonian certainly did this with what constitutes a, a white person. The LA Times did it with what constitutes Larry Elder. Harvard. You ready for this? Courtesy of the Washington Free Beacon. Harvard. Welcome to Harvard. Fatophobia and cis-heterosexism perpetuate violence. I bet you could ask any graduate of Harvard, whether it's undergrad, the grad school, the Kennedy School, the law school, the medical school, any graduate of Harvard who graduated, I don't know, up to five years ago, what cis-heterosexism is, and they wouldn't even know what the heck you're talking about. Cis-hetero—do you know what that is, Jeremy? Cis-heterosexualism? It perpetuates violence. You better know what it is. Using the wrong pronouns constitutes abuse. Verbiage is now abuse by misusing a pronoun. And any words used to lower a person's self-worth are considered verbal abuse. So it'll get you kicked out of Harvard. Those are just a handful of the things the school told all undergraduate students in a mandatory training session welcoming you to the new school year. Mandatory training session. Mandatory by who? Oh, Title IX. Title IX. That would be the federal government. The training, which all undergraduates were required to complete in order to enroll in courses, you couldn't opt out of this, includes a power and control wheel, just like that nice diagram the Smithsonian made for you two years ago, has a power and control wheel to help students identify harmful contact. Outside the wheel are attitudes that contribute to an environment that perpetuates violence. A voiceover from the training states, including... Sizeism and fat phobia, cis heterosexism, racism, transphobia, ageism, and ableism. You know, I don't know that you can ask these questions when you're doing online training, but I would like to know if there's a single example anywhere. You know, they just say these things and we're supposed to accept them. If there's a single example anywhere, anywhere, where someone using the wrong pronoun has actually led to violence. I can't think of an example anywhere. If there's a story out there, I'd like to see it. Inside this wheel that Harvard is uh, uh, teaching about, the power and control wheel, are behaviors that the school says constitute abuse and could violate federal law. Uh, Here's uh, the Harvard College Dean Rakesh Karana Uh, Telling the students, quote, we all have an essential role to play in creating a community that cultivates gender equity and inclusion. Completing this course is a critical step in establishing a shared understanding of the values here at Harvard College. You got to go to the free beacon and see this wheel. I can't describe it. I mean, I could try, but it won't do it justice. The power and control wheel. Presentation slide from Harvard College uh, preventing and responding to sexual harassment and other sexual misconduct training. Harvard launched this training a few years ago and announced in 2018 that completing the training was a prerequisite for course enrollment. When we talk about indoctrination, and if you don't want your children indoctrinated at college, this is what we're talking about. They are forced to go. You could have, you could have a serious student 
at Harvard that doesn't want to deal with that sociology gobbledygook, to quote Rand Paul, that doesn't want to deal with even philosophy or perhaps anthropology or political science. I think they call it government now at Harvard, whatever they call it. You could have a serious student wanting to just go do something that will improve their knowledge and improve society, going into, you know, an engineering or a hard sciences or a physical sciences education at Harvard. They still have to go through this training to even enroll in their courses. You can try and do a serious STEM education at a place like Harvard and avoid all that social science gobbledygook. You Thinking you're going to avoid indoctrination, you cannot. You cannot. Because misusing someone's pronoun, you will learn at Harvard, constitutes violence. I can say it and say it and say it. I hope you'll say it with me. M-O-F-A. Make Orwell fiction again. Please. Faster. Please. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to bring back our dear friend, Brett Johnson. He is a partner with the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm based here in Phoenix, offices around the country. He gives us our constitutional update every week. Brett, thanks for joining us again. Oh, thank you, Seth. You know, the progressive and the, and the woke and, and, and just the currents of our time really make a lot of uh, creative uh, opportunities for the law. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, there's a lot going on that we probably never saw coming 10 years ago or could train for. And uh, you're good at distilling some of this for us, a lot of this for us. Um, tell us about this interesting case. Set it up for us and tell us about this interesting case involving the EEO, the employment uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, a case out of Tennessee that we're, our attorney general here in Arizona is involved in as well. Yes, thank you, Seth. And it is, it is interesting. And some of the legal theories that are being used um, haven't been used in a very long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so it, it was, so it, it, it's kind of nice to get, I mean, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of an originalist guy. And so when we go back to what the actual meaning of the Constitution is, and, uh, um, and just setting the stage real quick, a lot of people want to talk about the issues that we're going to talk about today. But in reality, it's more, again, and I've talked about before on the show, it's more of the courts holding the executive and the legislature into accordance with the Constitution right. and saying, hey, we, we don't really are passing judgment on your policies. We're just saying you're not doing it right. Yeah. You need to dot your eyes, cross your T's, yeah. and, and act like a government. So, <laughs> act like a constitutional that, republic. Yeah, I love it. Okay. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's very, very simple. And, and, and if they would just do that and spend, uh, instead of like going going off uh, off of the Constitution, they'd probably do a lot better on their policy decisions. Yeah, but that being said, using yeah. Tennessee... Um, uh, the Arizona Attorney General and uh, I think about 20 other attorney generals, they sued both the, the EEOC and the Department of Education um, in Tennessee 
um, to basically address what right when President Biden came into office, he he issued another executive order, which overturned an executive order from President Trump. And President Trump's order had overturned an executive order from President Obama in regard to policies and procedures dealing with transgender um, both in the employment and the employee space, as well as in the school. So that's why we have the Department of Education, students, um, and the EEOC, which deals with regulations of employees or welfare of employees. Yep. And one, one of the, and, and the, the main issue that, so as part of that executive order directed both agencies to come out with policies, Department of Education, the EEOC did, which is basically you can't have any type of um, in, in quote-unquote discrimination in regard to um, um, transgender. So if somebody who identifies um, as to one gender, they're allowed to use that, that gender's bathroom regardless of the consequences for the other employees or the other students. Right. So from putting that as context, the, the attorney generals sued, and they basically said, where is your statutory authority to do that mm-hmm. within both the EEOC and the Department of Education? Mm-hmm. And, and what the judge, the judge agreed with them and basically said is that both from an, what's called an Administrative Procedures Act case, that's what I've, I've mentioned before, and also the non-delegation doctrine. Right. Congress did not give you that authority. Um, they, the, the court basically put an injunction as to two of those laws. Well, Pre- President Biden, and um, um, not to be dissuaded and, and really trying to use this as, as an issue, then directed the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and you're probably scratching your head, U.S. Department of Agriculture, what do they have to do with it? Well, the USDA is in charge of what's called the SNAP program. Yeah, and it there it is. Ketchup fun. for vegetables. Yeah, I remember go. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vegetables. Yeah. yeah. And, and they give about 30 million children um, across the nation, either breakfast or lunch or both, in schools, both private schools as well as public schools. So parochial schools can, can qualify for this funding. And basically use everything that was overturned by the judge and said, if you want our money for the food, for these 30 yeah. million children, yeah. you're going to now have to do these policies and procedures. So yeah. last week, the attorney general again sued in Tennessee, obviously Tennessee being a, a now favored state, yeah. um, and 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 are, are looking to to basically put a hiatus on that law too. So it's going to be interesting. But again, this really isn't. It's a, it's about policy. It's obviously one of the reasons why attorney generals or elected leaders are going for this. But they're also using it for a higher reason. Is like. Between our governments, you you have to do it right. Let me do this, Brett. I I got to take a quick. Let me do this. I got a quick commercial break. This brings up so many big issues. If if I can keep you another segment, I want to pursue. I want to chase down some of these lanes with you, if I can, a little bit. Because thank you. Let me take a quick commercial break. Brett Johnson is our guest. SWLaw.com is where you can reach out to him if you ever need to. Uh, and um, if you ever do need to, you won't find a better lawyer. I am Seth Leapson. He is Brett Johnson. There's a lot on the table here. Uh, if you take the government's money, uh, what are the contours as to what they can uh, tell you and what you can do against their wishes? There's another huge question about law by administrative state action, law by executive order, law by non-delegation from Congress. Brett and I will pick all that up when we come right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brett Johnson uh, from the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm is our guest, bringing up a lot of interesting issues on a case out of Tennessee. Brett, you know, one of the first things that pops into a lot of people's minds in hearing about this case and the US use of executive orders, I think we have to explain uh, one thing, which is if we govern by executive order, you can ungovern by executive order, which is why, you know, we we, we, we would hope we would create less and less policy through executive order, right? I mean, is that fair enough to say? I mean, there's very little that stops um, a, a Trump from from over overruling an Obama and executive order or Biden overruling an, a, a Trump executive order. That's what happened here, right? That, that's exactly right. And and, um, and it does happen you, usually at the end of, uh, or the beginning of an administration, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, when, when rules and regulations are coming through, there's usually, unless they're final and for emergency purposes, there's a, there's a waiting period for implementation, which makes sense. Yep. If you're, if you're going to have like an environmental issue and you have to go buy a new machine, you got to give me six months to go buy the machine right. before I, I have to start using it. Right. Um, and, and, and so when, New administrations come in, they usually immediately put a moratorium mm-hmm. on any regulation, unless it's national security usually, um, moratorium on any executive orders that were placed by the previous administration uh, for a, a review period. And then they slowly start undoing those, and those because those are going to cause less impact if they are never put into place in the first place. Right. In the first place. Right. But then they, they so then they start reviewing the other ones, and in, and in this case was the President Obama one on um, Title IX applying to schools right. with transgender allowing them sports and schools um, and bathrooms, and 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 that President Trump revoked that one. And, I, and actually, that case was in the middle of a lawsuit, ironically. And um, it's always interesting when there's a change of administrations because the Department of Justice says, "Yesterday I was on this side, and now yeah, I'm on that." Right. So right, exactly. It's, it's all, it's all, and, so, and that's just kind of how our, our, our system is. But executive orders, you got to remember, executive orders are based on, on either statutory authority that was given to the president, the executive, by, by statute, or their inherent ability under Article 2 right. of the U.S. Constitution. They say, this is my right. Right. Um, so, again, whatever that, that new executive can do, they can, they can overturn. But it, it's really not a good way of governing. I think most people would appreciate that is especially in the modern era where the impact of a law might not be felt for four or five years or right. the impact of an executive order. Right. So it's it's one of those ones that are frowned upon. But now one of one of the things that one of the things that could stop it in a case like this, this is actually a question. I shouldn't say it so declaratively. Couldn't one of the things that stops this kind of um, chaos, I think that's a that's a fairly neutral word for what what's going on here, uh, when we switch laws on big issues between administrations would be Congress weighing in on this, right? If Congress passed a law, an executive order, I think I'm right, typically can't overrule yes. or can't overcome congressional legislation, right? Or co- yeah, congressional well, and passed legislation, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, well, yeah, I mean, many presidents have tried, and yeah. they usually get sued because right. of it, right? Right. But you're, but you're absolutely right. And, and one of the problems, not only at the federal um, level and at the state level, and sometimes even at the municipal level, some of these laws that are going through are just so big and voluminous and yeah. trying to capture because you're trying to make Senator Manchin happy or right. Senator Cinema happy. And so you're throwing things in and you're not able to really kind of stay on topic and give really clear guidance because you're trying to cram so many things in. And because of that, when you have that ambiguity, um, you know, agencies like the EEOC and the Department of Education are able to say, 
hey, I'm going to use that ambiguity, which yep. is also part of the test of Ontario, but then all, and then basically say this is what Congress meant to right. give me the authority right. and try to make that argument. And this Supreme Court has really walked back that yeah. that deference to the agency. Um, in, in making those kind of determinations. Brett, the other question I, I would guess that would come up is if you are a uh, transgender uh, person, employee of a school system that takes federal money, um, what, what you know, you, you want to sue on a policy. What are you looking at in the Constitution to claim a violation of your constitutional rights? I mean, are we just adding everything to the 14th Amendment these days? There's no transgender protection under the Civil Rights Act, I don't think. No, no. So they are. It, it's still tied to the civil—it is still tied to the Civil Rights Act primarily, which then is tied to the 14th Amendment. The 14th so Amendment, if, if a, yeah. If, yeah, if, so if, a per, um, if a person— is uh, you know feels like a policy is actually hindering one of those rights. That's how that's how they would bring it. As like it was called a 1983 claim, right. my civil rights right. are being violated. Right. Um, and so then they try to use those nuggets. Now, of course, after you know the recent Boggs opinion by the Supreme Court, the, the right to privacy, um, which it was uh, you know I don't want to say removed, but but definitely not read into the Constitution any further, and for which some of these laws were based upon. Right. Right. are going to be tougher. So, yeah. so don't forget, though, and, and obviously this, this case that we're talking about, the EEOC, Department of Education, and the USDA case, so Congress always has the power of the purse. Yep. Always. Yep. And so that is going to be um, the, the one constitutional hook is, is that if you don't want our money, then don't, and you don't have to follow our policies. But if you want our money, you're going to have to uh, deal with the strings that are attached. And regardless of if you're Republican or or, um, or Democrat, or which way of your traditional philosophy, that's kind of like an unwritten, uh, you know, gold, golden standard where nobody really objects to it when the money's tied to it. If and Congress is speaking, not the Secretary of the Health and Human Services. Right. Congress right. is tying tying that to money, that policy to money. They're able to do it. Yeah, this goes back. Uh... Gosh, a long time. I guess the first time I was made aware of that whole thing, we were both young, uh, had to do, I think it might have been an Elizabeth Dole case in the Reagan administration. It had to do with, I I think, transportation funds and speed laws, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is the reason why yeah. you have to be 21 years of age that's, to get alcohol. That, uh, that's it. That's <laughs> what it was. Okay, that's exactly. That is, and so South South Dakota sued and, and said, "Hey, listen, if you're if you're in the military, and you're you're good enough to serve in the military at age 18, you're good enough to be able to buy a drink." That's um, I'm I mean, I'm kind of aligned with some of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. being having been in the military, <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know they, they they said then then absolutely South Dakota, you can you can be that way, but but you don't get the federal money for transportation. For a case that I, I was involved in when I was actually in the service, it's called the Solomon Amendment yep. case, and it was against Yale University, yep. which is the, the, the main universities who take hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of federal money every year, not for tuition, but for research and grants. Yep. And, and it said, listen, if you want our money for these great projects, you, you have to let our recruiters on campus so we can recruit the best and the brightest. That's right. It just goes all the way back to the founding of our country. And these schools said, no, we don't yep. want your recruiters, but we want your money. Yep. And that was a unanimous case. Yep. There, was, there was no dissension in that case where the court said, Yale, if you, if you want their money, you're going to have to let the Navy recruiter on campus. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly right. And you're not going to find me a university in this country that doesn't out, outside of Hillsdale that doesn't want that federal money, yeah. which is why you don't have to That's check right. those silly boxes when you apply to Hillsdale as to what race you are, because That's they right. don't take it. Brett, we had a bunch of other cases, but this was so deep and good. Um, I'm going to have to save the others for next week, if that's cool with you. That sounds good to me. No, this was big. Thank you, Brett Johnson, Snell and Wilmer. I appreciate it so much, as does our audience. Godspeed, sir. Thank you all. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by my good friends at Y-Refi. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check Y-Refi out. They're offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all on a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence to prove firm run by really great people. They are investors who do well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that. Check them out at investyrefy.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. That discussion we were having with Brett, people want to understand this. Sometimes it's called or referred to as the conflict of the laws. Sometimes it's referred to otherwise, but if Congress passes a law, if there's an executive order, uh, if there's an executive order and Congress didn't pass a law, all these things, also part of the non-delegation problem, uh, were covered probably most eloquently by my favorite Supreme Court justice you hear me speak about often, Robert Jackson. It was in a concurrence uh, during the Truman administration in a case uh, taught as Youngstown uh, Sheet and Metal. And he wrote, when the president acts pursuant to an express or implied authorization of Congress, his authority is at its maximum, for it includes all that he possesses in his own right, plus that which Congress can delegate. Uh, Second, when the president acts in absence of either a congressional grant or denial of authority, he can only rely upon his own independent powers. But there is a zone of twilight in which he and Congress may have concurrent authority or in which the distribution is uncertain. But then there's this third category, when the president takes measures incompatible with the expressed or implied will of Congress, his power is at its lowest ebb. For then he can rely only upon his own constitutional powers, minus any constitutional powers of Congress over the matter. Long story short, if you want to stop these nonsenses, If you want to keep the law from continuing to be an ass, in the the words of the novelist, right, Dickens, um, you have to have Congress pass laws on these things that matter. So God, please, when we take back Congress, can we once and for all stop the ability and the question and even the availability of the question of a lawsuit 
the president doing these things through the Department of Education and the Department of Agriculture and the EEOC and the whole alphabet soup of federal agencies that neither our constitutionalists and founders envisioned in the first place about rights which were nowhere contemplated except in the fever swamps of the sociology departments of the Ivy League schools that have now made their way to the executive office of this administration. Congress has to put a stop to it, and you have to put a stop to the current Congress we have. I'm Seth Leapson. Don't go away. A lot more coming right up.